Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, I catch up with Zucky from Sommelier and Dean from Agoric. We catch up about their respective projects and then explore some major narratives happening in the Cosmos ecosystem. Specifically, we recap the UST collapse, fallout, and impact on Cosmos. We talk about the move of some apps from rollups to their own app chain, as well as projects looking to be increasingly exposed to IBC or bridging into the Cosmos ecosystem. Finally, we look at IST, or Interstable Token, a project being developed by the Agoric team, which is meant to be a Cosmos-native, multi-collateral stablecoin. We look at how they are thinking about it, how other projects' successes and failures are influencing its design, as well as the role it hopes to play in the ecosystem. Now, before we kick off, I do want to highlight a new video series that we are launching this summer called the ZK Whiteboard Sessions. It's produced by ZK Hack, as well as the ZK crew from Polygon. In it, hosts Bobbin and Brendan interview top experts in the ZK space, exploring the most important concepts and building blocks of ZK. I'm going to add the link to this in the show notes, and it's definitely a great resource to watch out for. We're just starting to release these whiteboard series now, so you, you might want to check it out. We also have three introductory videos for the ZK whiteboard series produced by Dan Bonet from Stanford. So you can already check out a lot of these videos over at ZK Hack. One more thing, this September, the ZK Summit returns for its eighth edition, and we are bringing it back to Berlin. It's happening during the Berlin Blockchain Week. Be sure to apply to attend. Spots are limited, so get your application in soon. Now, Tanya is going to let you know a little bit about this week's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Alio. Alio is a new layer one blockchain that achieves the programmability of Ethereum, the privacy of Zcash, and the scalability of a rollup. If you're interested in building private applications, then check out Alio's programming language called Leo. Leo enables non-cryptographers to harness the power of ZKPs to deploy decentralized exchanges, hidden information games, regulated stablecoins, and more. Visit leo-lang.org to start building. You can also participate in Alio's incentivized testnet 3 by downloading and running a Snark OS node. No signup is necessary to participate. For questions, join their Discord at alio.org discord. So thank you again, Alio. Now here is Anna's episode with Dean and Zaki. Today, I'm here with Dean from Agoric and Zaki from Sommelier. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. I'm very excited to catch up with both of you. One of the reasons that we're doing this episode is to talk a little bit about general kind of cosmos narratives. I wanted to talk to like people about the UST fallout from a few months ago. And I felt like the two of you would be fantastic people to talk about this with. And also we want to touch on sort of a new plan for something called IST. But before we do that, I mean, you're both from different projects. You've both been on the show before, but it's been a few months. And I think it's, we're kind of due for a little check-in on what each of you are doing. So let's start with Zucky. You were actually on the show last October. Yep. You presented Sommelier. I can definitely link to that in the show notes, but you did just tell me before we started recording that a lot has changed. So do tell me what has changed. So um, probably the last time we spoke, uh, Sommelier was focused on uh, like Uniswap V3 liquidity management. That was yes. kind of our game. Um, what we learned over the course of a few months 
was that basically any sort of decentralized liquidity management on like V3 style DEXs is going to lose money. Oh, um, no. Outside of like a relatively narrow set of use cases around stable coins and like, you know, paired assets, uh, like some of the stuff that like Arrakis and Gelato are doing. It's a relatively narrow set of things. You know, if you are making money on Uniswap V3, you are hedging on centralized venues. Um, mm. You are doing like, you know, there was $200 million of flash liquidity on Uniswap V3 um, in the last year. We basically like analyzed the whole Uniswap V3 space um, and like came back in December and we're like, oh, we are not going to launch this product. Like, I'm not going to launch this product. I'm not going to launch a product that I, like, am 100% sure people will lose money on. Oh, man. Um, so in the meantime, we had actually been, like, specking out, like, a different set of use cases for Sommelier, and we have sort of entirely pivoted to this. Okay. Um, and the new use cases are actually probably going to be launched, like, within a week of when this episode goes live. Mm. Um, we're looking at, like, July 20th as our most likely launch date. Um, everything is done. Uh, chain is upgraded. Smart contracts are audited. Like UI is done. It's like really great. So what we decided we really wanted to focus on is this like combination off-chain computation model or off-chain strategy model with validator-driven on-chain execution. So like you have some entity, who knows what it is. It could be a program, could be a bot, could be a guy on a keyboard. You have no like. The system does not define what this is, mm -hmm. um, is sending messages to the validators telling them what trades need to be executed on various smart contracts that we call sellers. Um, and then those contracts are executed. So we are initially launching with the Aave stablecoin rebalancing seller, um, which is just going to go and say, hey, I would like to know which stablecoin I can get the best yield on Aave and just like rebalance my funds into it. I don't want to take like spot risk essentially, like risk on the appreciation of the asset. Like here's a list of stable coins because there's actually quite a bit of volatility between different stable coins in the lending market. Um, and like rebalancing this yourself is like a full-time job. Got so it. this is the first thing that we're launching. But really what's very cool about Sommelier now is that we are a platform, i.e. Hmm. you can launch pretty much any seller you want. We have already started onboarding like external teams who are building sellers on our platform. Really the only thing that is like slowing us down at this point is everybody's like, this sounds really cool. I just wanna see money moving through the system. I'm like, I feel the same way. Uh, and that's why we're starting out with this like very low risk stable coin seller that it's like, will this make insane amounts of money for any, especially right now it won't. Uh, yields will eventually go up. Like they will, mm. uh, but like right now, obviously, like stablecoin lending yield, like demand is like is terrible. Um, but there are actually strategies that we see coming that are really good for like kind of a, a bear market environment. Like this is a great time to be like, hey, like buy STE if the STE discount goes outside of a range. Mm. Uh, buy ETH when it is like you know when it has moved out of like the two week moving average, right on the bottom side, like. There are strategies that are going to do that are potentially like huge money making strategies, but are like you need to be a like full time trader to really run yourselves. Strategists can provide these strategies on top of Sommelier um, and get this like sort of high reliability execution environment. Um, and we are like we have a fully generic platform that can support sort of arbitrary smart contracts and arbitrary strategies uh, mm -hmm. today. So 
yeah, this is cool. what Sommelier is now. Is like we are sort of an, an arbitrary strategy execution platform. I mean, you did have that strategy mentality before. I just want to check something though. Are you primarily still looking to kind of work from the Cosmos area, but working over a bridge to, with Ethereum? Because like if you're doing Ave, you're talking about like the ETH Ave. Yeah, the primary place that we're executing right now is Ethereum. Okay. Um, we have multi EVM support coming, uh, but like it's going to be interesting to see how compelling that is in the bear market too. Mm-hmm. All of the liquidity has retreated to its home on Mainnet. Ethereum. Yeah. Um, but like the general framework that we've built is applicable to Cosmos. It's applicable to uh, Ethereum. It's potentially applicable to other chains. Um, we're mostly looking for like where economic opportunities arise because like the whole point of this thing is to be able to like aggregate significant amounts of capital underneath mm. it. When you say the word seller, I think we're continuing with the wine metaphor. Am I right? So yes. It's a C. It's not a seller like an S. Yeah. It's a C-E-L-L-A-R. Seller. Okay. And yeah. these sellers are strategies. There are contracts that execute strategies. Or? They're vaults. They're like okay. comparable to like urine vaults or yeah. uh, or enzyme vaults, right? But the difference is, is they have this sort of unique thing, right, where you have off-chain strategies. So, you know, you have this off-chain strategist. The off-chain strategist can sort of make discretionary orders, right? It's The strategy is not fully on-chain. Mm-hmm. But you also have this validator set that can potentially swap out the strategist. And so we have this, like, sort of interesting governance dynamic uh, between the strategists, the validators, the SOM holders. Like, one of the other things that is just like we're really pushing for is to do a Cosmos chain that where the rewards are not inflationary. Oh. Um, so basically, SOM holders and SOM validators do not make money until users make that money. Okay. Um, and so that has been another big, uh, big piece of the experiment. But you already have, you have a chain. Yeah, yeah. We have, we, our chain has been launched for a while. Yeah. We've even done the seller upgraded, like, I don't know, two months ago. Uh, we have been in, Solidity smart contract audit hell process for a while. <laughs> and like that concluded on Friday. Uh, and so well, now we're just like, we're like rearing to go. Very nice. All right, let's switch over to you, Dean. We, ha- we actually had a conversation about Agoric more recently, I believe, like this past year, uh, February, actually 2022, where you introduced Agoric we talked about Harden JS. I'm also going to link to that in the show notes if people want to find out more. But you have since launched, I think, right? Or had you launched then? I think you had not launched then. So tell me what's <laughs> gone on on your side. Okay. So Agoric is a you know big platform play that's really important to getting mainstream developers into being able to do smart contracts by enabling smart contracts and hardened javascript as you mentioned but there are multiple stages to that launch so last november we launched the layer 0 you know the cosmos layer what we call mainnet 0 which allowed the deployment of bld tokens it allowed us to do a public sale at the end of december and so forth but that was you know phase 0 of several Um, Phase one is the important next step where we launch the hardened JavaScript platform. And once that's launched, then smart contracts will launch on top of that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll talk about inter-protocol in a little bit, but that's mainnet one. Now, 
we're sort of steadily marching towards that with um, test nets, with a uh, preview release of the bunch of smart contracts and the platform on top of it. So preview release of the inter-protocol. For other projects, we've got lots of security audits, third-party security audits in progress. And we have a economic stress test where economists are testing, uh, you know, the economics of and analyzing the economics of the stable token infrastructure, the AMMs and the, and the other smart contracts that are critical to the uh, mainnet one, right? Now, our strategy was always, you know, launch a set of contracts that provide a stable economy, right? The platform is, you know, build fast, earn fast, rapid development using a modern component uh, architecture of interesting smart contracts and being able to deploy them in a stable, vibrant economy, which to our mind includes having basic trading and having a stable token to grease the wheels of commerce in that economy. And so mm. all of that launches, those first round of contracts launch in mainnet one, targeted later this year, targeted Q3. Cool. Um, after that is the next couple of stages are permissioned release, you know, governance determined release of new smart contracts, of additional smart contracts, so that uh, experts building things carefully that go through security audits, they can convince the community that this would in fact enhance the robustness of the environment or enhance the richness of the economy. That can get voted in and, and released in a permission fashion, moving towards through additional security audits, additional, you know, metering support, all those kinds of things to eventually mainnet phase three, which is permissionless. And so we, you know, very carefully staged to allow this thing, because this is not, this is not a, oh my gosh, let's rush out a platform that people can whack together crap, right? And, mm -hmm. and maybe some of it will stick. This is, you know, building a platform that non-crypto developers can get into. And if they can build an application now in Web 2, they could go and build it in Web 3. And that requires a level of support and tooling and familiarity and training and all these things that they just take time to build. Now, mm -hmm. What's really exciting about Mainnet 1 is it turns out that what we need to launch a stable economy is what the interchain needs for the, the rapid growth of DeFi in the interchain. And so this mm. is the inter-protocol and our stable token for the Agoric platform. So Inter-protocol, like when you say that, is that the name of the token? Because I've been calling it IST. Yes, the token is <laughs> okay. IST for okay. interstable token. Okay. IST. And so, and, or ICT, as someone, someone on Twitter, <laughs> every good. time I said that he was envisioning this ICT. So now I want a glass of ICT and, and to have, like uh, you know, a rapper actor dictate our, uh, our, our advertisement, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, you didn't think of the drink, you thought of the rapper. Uh, yeah, okay. what, you know, okay. what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you keep saying inter. Like the other word you're using. Inter-protocol. What do you mean by that then? Is that just like IBC or? Oh, no, 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 no. So, so inter-protocol is about having a stable token that works across IBC. So it is IBC native, but it mm -hmm. is a collection of smart contracts that form the, the backbone of, of an economy, basically. So it mm -hmm. is a MakerDAO CDP style vault infrastructure. 
right? But you can take assets over IBC. So this becomes a stable token for the interchain. And that's sort of the thing that has happened with mainnet one is it goes from being an initial release for this larger platform to being really critical and interesting for enabling uh, economic growth in the interchain, right? So Got it. it is a stable token where the assets are not, you know, one token on one one zone that now you have to care about, but they are community-determined set, starting, for example, with Atom, where you mm -hmm. could bring Atom over IBC, lock it up in a vault. Uh, to make it just collateral, like, To I make guess. it collateral, so it becomes Got collateral it. that you then yeah. mint IST against, and then you mm -hmm. can take that IST and you can, of course, use it on local smart contracts on the Agoric platform, but you can also take that over IBC over to other chains, so over to yeah. SOM, over to Juno, Osmosis, Osmosis mm -hmm. you know, Evmos, etc. It can become not just a stable token that is usable in the Cosmos ecosystem, but because those chains can provide the asset that is the collateral that they're using. It's not that they buy into our chain. It's that, you know, I've got know. a bunch of Atom. I can unlock its power by using it as collateral and taking IST back to Atom, okay. Crescent, Evmos, et cetera, right? All right. So I think, I mean, one of the reasons you're here is to definitely talk about this particular topic, <laughs> but I do think we need to do a little bit of backstory sure. into why this is very relevant today. And <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, or at the beginning of this episode, you know, UST and its collapse. I mean, what I now want to touch on is basically these like three narratives that I see kind of like coming. They're very different. The UST fallout and its effect on Cosmos, the sort of movement for like applications that were trying out rollups and now they're creating their own app chains over on Cosmos. And I'm also learning about a lot of bridge projects or projects trying to bridge to IBC. So these are like other networks trying to bridge in. Let's kind of like rewind to May. Um, I don't think I've talked about this at all on the show, so I, I'm excited to do it. I always like doing this, by the way. I always love doing recaps rather than trying to report news because then people have digested and like they mm -hmm. can kind of look at it a little bit more calmly. But I think the two of you were probably looking very closely at this as it happened. UST was the stablecoin on Terra. Uh, was very, very key in Cosmos because Terra was built on the Cosmos SDK. So it was the first stablecoin to really like proliferate within the Cosmos ecosystem and then had a very dramatic collapse. Um, that's my quick summary. But Zucky, tell me a little bit about your take. Where were you at when this happened and what did you think was going on? So I was in Croatia for a conference. Okay. Fede was there. It was good. Fede from Evanos was there. And like this was going on, you know, it had been interesting, like, you know, right before that, I had, like, literally been talking to Mike Novogratz about Terra. I had talked to Konov about Terra. You know, I was continuously sort of, like, the potential risk about Terra was always well known. But, mm -hmm. like, what do you really do about it? You also had this problem, which we can come to later, right? Because, you know, USDC is coming to Cosmos, um, all of these things. But like bringing USDC, bringing the sort of dollar-backed stablecoins to Cosmos has always been a challenge because in a bridged environment, right, how do you implement the blacklists that like are sort of core to the theory of compliance on these chains, right? Part of the reality was, so Terra had been on the Cosmos SDK since like mid-2019. Right. Oh, wow. So long time Cosmos SDK user. Yeah. Right. So, you know, 
both been part of the ecosystem and not part of the ecosystem. Uh, Occlusion was a validator on their network in the early years. Occlusion is your validator company. Yeah, Occlusion is my validator with my partners. Um, and so, like, we had been part of this world. We had been, like, paying attention to um, – we were very familiar with it. We actually wrote an implementation of, like, the Terra Price Oracle, um, mm. like, a bunch of stuff. Like, so we were pretty engaged, like, sort of into – 2019 and 2020. And then it, as 2021 sort of rolled on, we got less and less comfortable with kind of where the Terra ecosystem was going. But on the other hand, like they had a lot of money and we were trying to get some money to like support Cosmos stuff. Right. Okay. That was one aspect of it. Right. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, you know, Doe had, had announced this like Project Dawn thing. Right. Where he was like going to, you know, allocate $150 million to Cosmos projects and like Cosmos infrastructure, which was great. Uh, and we were trying to figure out like, OK, so like how do we actually get this money into into things that are worthwhile? Like this was our engagement. OK, so, you know, keeping an eye on UST. And then the other tr thing that was like very a big thing for Cosmos, right, is a lot of like smarter actors in the space sort of figured out that the best way to do the sort of one of the most efficient ways of doing the sort of UST carry trade where it's like, hey, I'm going to take stable coins, swap them to UST, get my 20% on Anchor, was to actually route through Atom. Route through Atom, route through Osmosis, go to, go to Terra, right? And so you actually saw this like massive volume. And the way... Osmosis sort of does incentives, right? Is pools that have volume get incentives. Yeah. From the actual Osmosis treasury, right? Yeah, like yeah. From they the are providing extra incentives to those yeah. large pools. So that creates these like recursive feedback loop where like mm -hmm. the pools get bigger because of the volume, the volume is getting bigger because of the anchor incentives. People were like smart actors were figuring this out. So then I guess, so all of the stuff was very familiar with all of these things. Um, and then like was basically like watching the Binance order book in real time. Well, you know, they were jump and LFG were like trying to keep the peg and like watch it collapse, watch it explode. But then, you know, the thing that happened, so like Sunday and Monday were about that. Then what happened was, you know, there's this famous like leaked telegram group that you can see me in for a period of time and then I leave. Because basically what happened was, is like, I was very familiar, many other Cosmos devs were very familiar with like the mechanism by which UST gets converted into Luna. So like Luna, like mm -hmm. the, the mechanism of the stablecoin is that at any time, uh, well, to some limit, but the limits are fairly large, um, you can convert Luna to UST by burning Luna and getting UST. And you convert yeah. UST to Luna by burning UST and getting $1 worth of Luna. Okay. At some point, sort of Tuesday-ish. So you're talking right around May 20th, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know what the days were, but we're going like yeah, yeah, May 20th. Uh, I just remembered it as this like crazy week. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the things though about this mechanism was it, there was never any UI for it. You had to use the command line to do it. Um, oh. And so at some point, people who were on the trade realized that they could buy UST on the market, turn it into Luna and sell it as a profit. Hmm. So this put Luna into this like hyperinflationary sort of cycle where like the price of Luna kept dropping, the price of UST was kind of actually stable and people were just like recycling, were just exiting by dumping Luna on 
like Binance and other markets that were forever. And it was like, okay, like what is going to happen here? So like the cost of taking over the validator set, like becoming the single validator, we would just watch it fall from like, okay, mm. now it's like $100 million. Then like an hour later, it's like $10 million. Then an yeah. hour later, it's like $100,000. And like, Whoa. you're seeing this collapse, right? And I'm like, guys, you know, so I, I start tweeting about the potential risks of all of this. Um, Sunny is also in a chat with them. There are a bunch of other Cosmos devs. We're like, okay, validators, you have to halt the chain and then restart with staking disabled because otherwise, like, we have no control over this, like, Luna UST disaster, but there are, like, $80 million of non-native assets on this chain, Whoa. primarily, like, ETH and BETH and, like, other assets that had been brought over the wormhole bridge, and we're, like, real worried about, like, the next phase of this, after it has become essentially free to take over the chain, Damn. is some sort of attack on those assets, That's right? Wild. Some sort of yeah. ransom on those assets. So I want to just give a little bit of context timing-wise to what we're talking about. Uh, it looks like, I'm just checking it, it was May 2020. May 7th was when it started to depeg. That's like, I think a what is this? This is a Saturday. And so I'm guessing, Zaki, the Tuesday that we're talking about would be around the 10th. And um, it was that week that you were seeing this. And what you're saying is at this point, like the depegging has fully happened. It's depegging. It's like there's this automatic sort of like liquidation or like the price of Luna is just going so No, it's low. not automatic. Like someone has figured out, okay, that there is an ARP here, which okay. is I can take UST, which no one will buy. I can convert it to Luna, which someone will buy. And that's hard to do. You have to use command line to do it, I you guess. You have to There's use no command interface. line. Okay. But people started realizing you could do this and started buying UST to do this. Okay. Right? But why wouldn't it re-peg UST if they're buying it? Well, because... It was dropping too fast. Yeah, like, there's the seller... Like, basically, the minute any liquidity showed up, and, like, there wasn't infinite Luna liquidity, but, like, a lot of traders were looking at this coin that was worth $100, and they're, like, seeing it for pennies, and they're like, oh, like, there's an opportunity here. Like, I'll buy this. Not really understanding the mechanism that, like, infinite Luna was being printed. Mm. The key here of about being able to take over the validator set is where there might have been a billion tokens before, I don't know how many there were, now it was so cheap and the mechanic of Luna was such that you could do uncontrolled minting that someone literally minted trillions. And so now if you could take trillions and stake them, you now have a validator that is a thousand times larger than the entire rest of the network. And so yeah. all blocks would go to it. It'll do whatever you want. And you're now in complete control from a protocol point of view. And what could it do, though? Like you just mentioned, there's all these other tokens on the network itself. Could they have started to just like make those tokens land in their wallets? Exactly. You could just, you know, do a vote and vote to give all the money to themselves. Right. OK. Um, transfer they still all the money to a new wallet on another off. chain. Well, but they're, yeah. but they're in control of the endpoint of the bridge. So now they can give all the money to themselves and transfer it off chain. You know, Luna implodes, but their money, as far as Ethereum is concerned or Binance or whatever, they've been told it's by Luna good. it was transferred into the attacker's chain. What, what are they mm. going to do? Although there would have been a couple stop gaps there. I can imagine like bridge operators could have maybe done something. Yeah, or it, it would just have gotten like a lot worse. Uglier. Um, and, you know, 
clearly people in that chat room decided to like arb this whole process of halting the chain also because they like somebody decided to arb the process of oh i realize this trade is going to stop um mm-hmm. right because of this chain haul it was all pretty chaotic crazy it's like basically the like most chaotic environment for validators that i think i've ever seen um wow but i wouldn't say that it was like a complete fail right okay it's cool that you're in that group though it's kind of crazy that you had that perspective that you you were still running a validator at this point no right? no no oh you weren't okay so you were just like giving your thoughts but then you didn't have to turn anything off but other I didn't validators have to turn actually off. Like, had yeah, to yeah. turn off it was just like you know i'm familiar way the code works the tfl devs like really did not know what to do oh they're like this thing is like you know everything is falling apart they didn't have like a good crisis plan. They didn't like, have a plan. Crisis response was really not happening. So, you know, like a bunch of Cosmos devs showed up, advocated for a course of action that could be executed quickly. Was it mm-hmm. perfect? No. Uh, did it achieve the stated objectives? Were those the right stated objectives? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the stated objectives was to like create an environment in which people who have foreign assets in smart contracts would be able to like extricate their assets from those smart contracts. Okay. Did that happen? Yeah. I mean, the chain froze. So the, I guess the validator set decided to, is that what you call it? They just stopped the chain? They, they stopped, stopped the validating. chain. All the validators stopped. Yeah. Then there was an upgrade. IBC stopped. So the relayers also stopped. Or was that after? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we put in the chain in the upgrade was close the IBC channels. Okay. Um, again, who knows if this was the right solution, uh, but it was all, you know, under fire. Right. Mm. Do you feel like, I mean, I got the sense that the, the sort of chaoticness, the intensity of this particular event, that it is like, it needs to be dissected and studied in a way, because I think in it, there are lessons. I mean, I think there's the obvious lesson of like how to design a stable coin differently. Um, that that's not a good model, that there's, that's dangerous. I think they, people kind of already knew that that was dangerous. People but then already this knew was, this was dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but then it's also this, like to see what, what is a cascade from this? What is the domino effect? What happens after? I think us being able to see it will become useful for the future in design. I think the other thing that was kind of interesting about this is the way you could construct something that basically functioned as like a waterfall credit instrument that like does not look like a legacy finance waterfall credits. Like there's a, a sense in which this thing was like, oh, like Luna as a chain was operating in a conceptually similar space to like a mortgage backed security where you have like the triple A rated tranche in and the junior tranche. In 2007 or something, yes. right? Okay. And it was like, you've constructed a Cosmos <laughs> chain that is the functional equivalent of that system. Wow. When you use the word waterfall here, what do you mean? Is it like waterfall of money pouring out of itself or something? The idea of the system was that like, essentially in the risk management system, Luna was supposed to be the junior tranche where it was supposed to absorb risk Mm-hmm. Um, and the UST was de- was designed to be the senior trench, but like if the entire system turns to garbage, like Luna fails to absorb the risk. Mm. Could Luna have acted differently? Was there something reckless in the way that like it was promoted or how it was connected? Oh, there, I mean, 
there's there are many layers of recklessness in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, there's the way it was promoted by the centralized exchanges, um, you know, who promoted UST as a on the same level as other large, you know, more secure dollar-backed stablecoins. There was really no quality filter there. You know, I think it would have been wholly ineffective to fight this in Cosmos governance. Like, it would not have worked. Mm. Um, but the other mechanism that I would say was a big thing was, um, like, TFL was reckless, right? Mm. They're with, like... Withdrawing on that Saturday, I, mm-hmm. you, you remember? Actually, I, I'm going to have to recorrect it. So it was the seventh. I have a graph. Yeah. It was May seventh. So May seventh was a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So on that Saturday, they withdrew a huge amount of liquidity from the curve pool, um, with the intention of later in the week setting up a new curve pool, and that created and they told this- they communicated that. Right. Yes. Like this was somehow made or was it just visible on chain or was it actually? It was both. OK. Yeah. It was, you know, the setup of the new pool was planned. And the fact that they did this, you know, in like not like one atomic operation, but like over the course of days created a definite moment of like maximum instability mm-hmm. where like all these other forces around instability, the general deleveraging of the space, like the general deleveraging that was going on the like amount to which TFL had sort of burned their own Luna to create UST, swapped into other coins, you know, for various reasons. Uh, like all of these things like had been like sort of converging and like that was definitely like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, yeah. you know, or like the Jenga block. Do you think it was malicious? Do you think that there was someone or a big group that like saw the opportunity to crash this out? I have heard rumors of people raising money to attack UST. Mm. Um, so like, I don't know whether or not those rumors are true. I don't have the slightest idea, but like, again, the other thing though, you know, that I've heard in general is that like a lot of funds had their risk management systems on UST sort of go like alert them um, over the weekend that they thought something was wrong um, and like pull liquidity out of banker, sell Luna, like all of this stuff. So, you know, it could have been any number of those things, but it was certainly like the the way in which the, the three pool to four pool set like conversion was. And mm-hmm. so this, I think this is like, again, like a, another lesson for, for blockchain teams, right? Totally. Is that like, you know, operating, assuming sort of a non-adversarial environment, whether or not the adversary was there or not, but operating as if no one is going to attack you uh, at a publicly broadcast moment of vulnerability is just, you know, a recipe for disaster. There's a couple of critical things I'd like to insert here. There are lots of layers of failure or attack or vulnerability, what have you. So at the bottom, there was robust software that was functioning on a continuing basis, you know, sending messages back and forth, all of which, you know, were were the intended action. And mm-hmm. then there was the design of the economics that could cause this minting of trillions of Luna. That was fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. Now, people can talk about it as it was an experiment and what have you, but no, no, there was a lot of people going, it's really bad over there, but it'll never get there. And that was the fundamental bogus error on which this stack was layered. And there's an important sense in which, you know, better that bubble was popped now before it got worse. I mean, you know, Doe was very actively wanting to get too big to fail so that if his bubble popped, it would take everything else with him. And, uh, you know, and that's not 
the way to build a robust economy. That's not the way to build a robust system. Mm -hmm. And that was the problem at the bottom. There were plenty of other ways you get problems, but many of those could have been coped with if there wasn't this mm -hmm. core problem that would cause the whole infrastructure to collapse because someone could take over the chain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because every system is going to have, you know, people that are, I mean, you know, when you talked about, do you think it was deliberate or malicious? Let's be really clear. That does not mean criminal. Mm. You know, hostile takeovers happen legally all the time. That kind of economic activity to notice an opportunity and take it. I mean, arbitrageurs, malicious. I, I don't know. They're just doing their thing. It's tricky. Right? And so mm -hmm. much of blockchain is all about being robust in the face of this Byzantine environment. That's just a Byzantine economic environment. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? Like on the agoric front, I mean, you were you're busy building. Did you f feel this? Did it hit you? <laughs> like, did your team feel it, or were you just guys like, oh well, we're not really like we're not IBC enabled yet. It doesn't matter. Well, okay, so so several things, and it'll go, some of this will go back to um, Cosmoverse in November, whenever it was, mm -hmm. where we started talking about. Uh, Interprotocol, or at that point it was called Run, and talking about we've gotten through mainnet, we we launched our mainnet zero, and then went to Cosmoverse and talked about mm -hmm. it. Right? You know, many of our investors are people in the Cosmos ecosystem, so they suddenly could actually get their tokens and start to stake them, even though rewards weren't turned on. Now you can start to see that, you know, there could be governance, there could be all these things that they're mm -hmm. that they're used to. But when we describe Interprotocol. You know, folks like, well, Zucky, Sunny, Pung, people from, you know, Fede from, from all these different chains, you know, Sunny was like, oh, finally, an atom back stable token. You know, that's just what we've needed forever. And I really had this sense related to UST. You know, people were using UST heavily in the Cosmos ecosystem because it was kind of the only game in town. Yep. And everyone was leery about it, partly because its architecture was to use this. You're relying on that chain over there that has some potential issues. And not only are you relying on that chain, you must buy into their token, right? Yeah. You have to buy into the, you know, so the only way to exit is through Luna. That means, you know, if you've got really active use of it on Gaia, you got to go over to, to Luna exit. And so there's sort of a relying on some other project to have yours be successful. You know, that can always be challenging. And so they were very excited about being able to unlock the capital in all of their chains in Osmo and in Gaia, you know, Cosmos Hub and et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that, you know, sort of attitude wise, um, we were much more about, you know, IBC enabling the world and inclusiveness so that they could feel economically that they were engaged in the stable token. And so this changed our vision of what was, you know, our initial launching to being something that was suddenly a huge service to the entire ecosystem. Mm. And that's part of what inspired renaming it. And the interprotocol and the stable token was sort of important, but not central. We need mm -hmm. a stable token in Agoric, the particular mechanics don't matter to us, but it needs to yeah, be robust. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be healthy. It needs to be economically sound and solvent. And so we've been working on that. Got it. So obviously we saw this happening because we'd been paying attention to stable tokens in the Cosmos ecosystem because we were planning to roll out with a new, you know, very robust one. And it was, you know, interesting. Couldn't keep your eyes off of what was going on, partly because, you know, oh my gosh, is it going to get all the way to where it hits that death spiral that's sort of inherent in the architecture? And we had a yeah. conference the very next week. So Gateway Events, one of our investors, Rockaway, yeah. put it on and it turned into a big Cosmos conference. We were one of the sponsors. This and was in Prague, It was in right? Prague and it was inspired yeah. originally by Cosmoverse. Like, oh, that worked. Let's get a bunch of people together totally. in the community and, and make something happen. And that was 
starting right after that Tuesday that you talked about earlier, right? So starting on the 15th. So we're showing up there, so you know, me, Zaki, the Agora crew, all of these Cosmos chains. And at the start of the conference, everyone's like, what's going to happen? It's really scary. I mean, you know, it, there was really this, yeah. I don't know what to do yet, right? And there was a lot of Terra people there and all this sort of thing. And a big impact, I think, of that conference, sort of, and we'll look back historically and sort of measure some of that, is, a, you know, it started with, you know, okay, we had a plan, but let's talk about UST because, oh my God, right? And yeah. so many chains stepped up. I mean, the first thing was, you know, what happens uh, to the Cosmoverse? So, you know, first off, IBC executed beautifully, Tenderman executed beautifully. All these things mm -hmm. were happening, but it wasn't a bug in the software. It wasn't yeah. these systems collapsing. It was everything functioning just amazingly well to accomplish this thing that had an economic problem. But that thing imploding yeah. over there, yeah, prices fell, but, but everything kind of stayed up and was fine. I mean, this is an important way in which yeah. loosely coupled systems working together, they'll take some dependency, but they get to control it, they get to bound it, and they get to stay up mm -hmm. when that other thing over there dies. And so it was just a tour de force. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I spoke to the wormhole folks. I mean, this is maybe a bit more of a centralized bridge, but like all of their system also worked. Yeah, and yeah. I, that was one of their takeaways. Exactly. Nothing crashed, yeah, nothing yeah, yeah, broke, yeah. even though there was like liquidity flowing super fast right, over right. that. And then the other thing that happened is the developer ecosystem worked. So just one more point about that is at this conference, everyone's like, there were also a bunch of good projects on, on Terra, you know, that were yeah. quality things that they built there because, you know, there was a stable token there first. That's critical to making an economy hack, as I've mentioned multiple times. And so the community of Cosmos was just incredibly welcoming, right? You know, there's several yeah. Cosmwasm chains that are all like, you guys have expertise and projects, you know, here's a new place to build, we'll here. fund it, get over here. You know, and, and so totally. the the transition of attitude across the two days of the conference from, oh my God, what's happening to, wow, Cosmoth is healthy and thriving and growing. There's a place for these people. Yep, there's going to be a big market downturn, but this is a robust place to build. <clears throat> was huge. Mm -hmm. I want to move on to sort of a second narrative I had sort of mentioned here, which was like apps, dApps that have been thinking of deploying on rollups, potentially launching their own chain. I think the biggest example here is DYDX moving from StarkNet to the Cosmos ecosystem. But I do know that there's some like talk of other chains doing or other applications doing this. Um, I am curious, like it almost feels like a narrative that counter like the UST narrative, as much as it showed sort of like that the network stayed up, it was also, I think we could say it was a bit of a hit because it was like a somewhat toxic asset that had like spilled into the Cosmos ecosystem. It pulled down a lot of prices. It made people sort of like feel slightly shaky then this this new kind of narrative of like roll-ups potentially not being the place where people want to build but rather them moving to the cosmos ecosystem is an interesting narrative i would say and i just wondered is that a blip narrative or is that something you're seeing like in a bigger way so there's a lot of conversations about this going on mm -hmm. so i want to link it two things to this one is Applications that were on Terra have gone in a bunch of different directions, right? Okay. Some of them have gone to, you know, Polygon and Solana and all of the stuff. Uh -huh. But there's been quite a few applications that have stayed at Cosmos. Some of them have gone to Juno, but some of them have also launched their own chains. Some oh, of those wow. chains are already live. Oh, crazy. You know, and the other thing that was kind of funny about all of this for is Terra was always this like 
both part of Cosmos and not part of Cosmos, mm -hmm. right? They were always kind of like, oh, we're our own thing separate from the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem with yeah. like loose connections to the Cosmos ecosystem. Wasn't there some sort of like schism with Kepler Wallet and them too? Like, I feel like they weren't added for a long time or something yep. like that. The, the, or the ever? The Kepler team have, have not been fans. Uh, okay. It's sort of been an interesting thing though, you know, as, as close as the Kepler and Osmosis teams are, the Kepler team was not fans of, of Terra and uh, UST. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even though it became such an important uh, asset for a while on Osmosis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of these have come. Some of them have launched their own chains. Uh, Kujira just launched, like, within... Uh, so, you know, this is uh, early July, and the Kujira just launched their main net, which mm -hmm. is, like, a DEX and stuff like that. A lot of things that were sort of in the Terra ecosystem have been very seamlessly able to move into the Cosmos ecosystem. You know, Delphi Digital has their Mars project, which is now going to be another chain on Cosmos. Mm. Like, all of these things, right? Huge amount. And, like, the world of, hey, like, we mostly talk to TFL people, we mostly talk to people on the Terrace side, has now transformed into a world of, we talk to Jack, we talk to Zucky, we talk to David at Galileo, we talk to, like, this whole network of people, right? Yeah. Do you think what we're also going to see, though, is, like, some projects just shouldn't have their own chain? Like, do you think that might swing too far into like everyone has a dab chain or like um, has an app chain? Is it is it an app chain or dab chain or is it a app chain? It's not a zone anymore. I was I was schooled recently for calling it a zone. They were like, "What are you saying?" We were really worried about Blockstream's <laughs> trademark on side chains for whatever reason when okay. we wrote the white paper. That was why we did it this way. So it's app chain. Yeah, whatever. Not zone. I don't know. I honestly, like, I don't really care. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. But go back to the question. Do you think we might swing too far with too many teams? So I think this, like, that's a good routing now into your roll-up question, right? Are all of these chains going to be able to economically secure themselves, support a lot of economic activity, all of the stuff? A full validator so, set, et cetera, Yeah, et cetera. you know, and what I would say is, one of the biggest differences between the Cosmos ecosystem and the roll-up ecosystem, specifically the execution layers of the roll-up ecosystem, is right now the execution layers are not really community projects. Uh, there is a company. The company mm. has a, a business model, like frequently source-available business source license stuff. You can't just like fork the code. And, you know, all of these entities have roadmaps, right? They have all have these, like, elaborate roadmaps of stuff that they're working on. And you have a, an entity like DYDX who's like, we do not want to couple our decentralization to our vendor's decentralization roadmap, mm -hmm. right? And we would like to be able to throw our own engineering resources to solve our decentralization problem. And the roll-up ecosystem today, there's nothing that architecturally about rollups that forever makes this true. It just means that the rollup ecosystem today did not have anything to offer them. Um, mm. And so that is how, you know, DYDX sort of ended up on Cosmos. Could you imagine where like a lot of these groups launch app chains aren't able to fully create secure validator? Like they just don't get enough value into their validator so they can't grow the value high enough that it's not corruptible, basically, or they can't yep. get enough validators or something. Would they then potentially become like a roll up on Celestia? Is that yeah, that's, an option? That is like largely a world. I like there is a lot of work going on into, again, because the 
execution environments are so immature. Um, mm -hmm. You know, going back from like 2019 when Celestia was founded to now as we get close to Celestia launching, the thing that is most surprising to me is how immature the execution environments still are compared mm -hmm. to the Cosmos SDK. And in theory, I, I'm not as familiar, but compared to something like Substrate. Um, mm. Wait, you're saying Cosmwasm? Is that what you mean? No, what I mean is the Cosmos SDK itself. Like what DYDX wanted is like a full distributed system, mm. right? They wanted, you know, proposer selection. They wanted fairness. They wanted to be able to implement their own business logic on top of a roll-up system. And no one offers that today. Mm. Um, no one in the roll-up ecosystem really offers a solution in that space. And what one of the things that we're seeing is like a surprisingly large amount of interest and using pieces of the Cosmos SDK on top of Optimant to build rollups on top of Celestia for custom chains because there isn't an execution layer toolkit that really works for them. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, could they also use something like interchain security eventually, or is it too hard to do that kind of migration? So interchange security being yeah. like using potentially a validator set and creating almost like a subset of those validators that could be used for other projects. So interchange security is going to appear in multiple forms, okay. just like everything in Cosmos, right? We make open source technology, we give it to the world, multiple go-to-markets run simultaneously. So one of the go-to-markets for interchange security is like expanding the Atom economic zone, right? And that's not really like, hey, I have an app chain. I would like someone else to run it. I'm worried about security. Like for that specific go-to-market, like our focus is expand the Atom economic zone. Okay. Um, but like you have teams like Saga, uh, which are trying to uh, sort of make it as easy, like make it much, much easier to like sort of deploy app chains, get it secured by validators, all of the stuff while without having to go through all of this. And that might end up being a very appropriate solution for that kind of environment. Mm. Okay, I wanna talk about the third narrative because then we know to get back to IST. The third narrative is bridges bridging to IBC or just generally other projects looking to bridge into IBC. You had sort of mentioned USDC as well using Axelar. But um, yeah, tell me a little bit about, I mean, Axelar is a Cosmos app chain itself. So maybe that's a bad example, but like I know that there's, you know, a lot of the bridge teams we've talked to, I've had on the show, I'll sometimes ask them about IBC, and there is often some narrative, some kind of like exploration happening there. So is that a narrative that you think is taking hold of Cosmos too, which is like other networks trying to bridge into it? So two of the most amazing teams that we've sort of found in the last, you know, six months or so, one is the composable finance team, mm -hmm. um, has just like been crushing... IBC to the substrate Polkadot ecosystem, and then also been doing it for the near ecosystem. The other teams are Polymer, um, and they're looking at other ecosystems to build IBC clients too, too, uh, rollups, et cetera, right? Interesting. It is worth distinguishing getting IBC connected to those other chains, because IBC is designed mm -hmm. to be largely 
technology stack neutral. It's designed to be able to do IBC over to Substrate or even over to proof of work chains. It's designed so that developers can accommodate that. They can adopt it as this neutral mechanism. And that allows you to have the, you know, robustness and usability and extensibility of IBC all the way through to those other chains. That's very different from mm -hmm. IBC to a node that is then doing a bridge where there's some, you know, multi-sig, yeah. five-party bridge to, to just transfer assets. And so it's useful to distinguish those two cases. But I mean, every time you touch Ethereum, you are doing that. Like every yeah, time yeah, you have yeah, to yeah, yeah. convert Currently. IBC to something else because they wouldn't right. have an IBC But for example, the substrate bridge is IBC to substrate nodes so that you are doing end-to-end -end security without trusting the relayers in the middle, which is one of the much more robust elements of IBC versus bridges where you're trusting the software in the middle to faithfully move your money back and forth. Yeah. On the Polkadot front, they also have the XCM. And I, I was wondering if the XCM and IBC will ever speak the same language or somehow talk to each other, but we'll see. Maybe they're too uh, different. That, that, is, that is a composable finance question. Um, but I think it's the most exciting thing about all of this stuff is, again, we are disseminating out the IBC expertise to a point where other teams are able to implement it. Um, cool. In uh, other places. Is, in, in other, other places. Yeah. Um, I was always kind of frustrated, to be honest, with the ICF team's like unwillingness to like really go after some of these other environments as like places. Uh, it's fantastic that we have new participants in the ecosystem that are, are doing, doing this work. That. Cool. Okay, I think we've covered some like good background narratives of the Cosmos ecosystem, which I think does bring us now to talk a little bit about IST. I guess in that conversation, maybe we can talk a little bit about how it could compete. I mean, I think, Dean, you've already mentioned a little bit like where it comes from. You always had the plan for a stablecoin, but now it's sort of become, I mean, at least it sounds like you're thinking about it a little bit more like taking the role of what UST was doing, but obviously built on much, much sturdier foundations. I hope yep. it better. <laughs> but um, what about like USDC coming in? Like, do you see it? Is that a competition? There is a stable coin coming in. It's bridged in. It's not IBC native. I don't think, right? Correct. There's no like USDC well, even being if there minted is, it's still, in Cosmos. Yeah. It's, is there? Coming. Yeah. it's coming. It's, it's coming. Co that's coming? Yeah. Oh. I mean, even at that point, Wait. it's in some sense not IBC native because your money's in a bank account. But yeah, native Fair. direct bridging into Cosmos is coming. <clears throat> oh, where is native that going to live, actually? Native issuance from uh, uh, to be announced. Uh, okay. I mean, the main story is, you know, well, like DYDX has like been tweeting uh, and they represent oh. like $1 billion of USDC TVL, right? Um, we've been working very closely with the DYDX team mm. um, to find a USDC solution that is acceptable to them and acceptable to the broader Cosmos DeFi ecosystem. Mm. Like, so that will then be a native asset as well in Cosmos, mintable, well, mintable, like yes. some centralized body will be minting it. There, I think there are. there's a fundamental reason, even in an environment like the Ethereum ecosystem is economically stable in a world where both multi-collateral DAI exists yeah. and USDC exists and Tether exists, right? Like yeah. economic stability of these things is like real and actual and tangible. And they are actually complementary to each. Right. And you think different ones have different use cases? Like, is there different use? Like, are there moments where you should be using DAI and moments where you should be using USDC? Well, like, let's say you have a lot of ADA. Right, you're like I have a lot of atom. I would like to take out a loan against that atom. Sure, you could go to some lending protocol. You know, lending protocols always have this mismatch between 
depositors and borrowers mm. where like if you deposit when there's no borrowers, you're just, you know, not earning anything. And if you are trying to borrow when there's no depositors, and so like lending protocols are constantly trying to smooth this. This is literally what we're doing in Sommelier is building a smoother for this, mm. um, is something that smooths this. But when you have a maker style protocol, you can show up with your atoms and get your stable coins. There does not have to be a depositor. Right. Got it. Okay. So IST, yeah. like is IST that, I mean, you've sort of said it, it's a multi-collateral die of Cosmos, I guess you could say, but is it multi-collateral? Is it starting multi-collateral? Like when you first envisioned this, Dean, wasn't it more like a single collateral? No, it was, it was always, always multi-collateral. Multi yeah, it was, okay. it was always about bring assets over IBC to be able to mint against it because I see. Ironically, the one asset that we don't directly do this sort of CDP style vault with is Agorix build, because okay. then that competes with using build to secure the chain. Right. I and see. so it was always about being able to bring other assets as collateral and enabling people across the interchain to unlock the value of those assets. And That's so cool. the multi-collateral was, well, got to do Adam, right? And, and you know, mm -hmm. Osmo, got to do Osmo, right? Got You know, now, oh, well, there's all these other chains coming up. Many of which are going to be, you know, big chains with serious um, asset value there, enabling them to unlock that in a way that is consistent with how all the other chains are unlocking themselves. Right? What you would not want is a stable coin per chain, right? A stable coin per, per mm. app chain. What you want is to know you can use the same thing. I can unlock my Atom and use it over in this smart contract running on Evmos. I can unlock my Osmo and use that value over in the same smart contract running on Evmos, right? Would you only allow um, Cosmos native tokens to be collateral or would you allow like synthetic ETH to be a collateral as well? Well, so first off, it's a community thing. It's really not up to me. There'll be an economic okay. committee that, you know, informed by gauntlet running simulations and all this sort of thing that determines the right profiles and risk for that. Um, but but one of the key differentiators about the implementation of IST on Agoric is because it is built with the same hardened JavaScript framework with composable uh, smart contracts, it will be much more straightforward for it to grow over time to incorporate other things like even synthetic assets for off-chain assets, you know, or at the point where there is some robust set of NFTs or some robust set of securitized, mm. you know, uh, real estate assets, the community could decide with the appropriate risk models and liquidation process to add those as potential collateral types. That's a long way away. The key thing is okay. it was always, um, you know, the assets are up to the community. And if there was a robust bridge, then being able to use, you know, Sol or, or, or Wrapped ETH or, or, or BTC, those were always, you know, in something that we envisioned as being reasonable collateral. Um, it was always designed, IST was always designed, Interprotocol was always designed to be multi-collateral um, with assets in the Cosmos ecosystem so that you could uniformly use a stable token even if you were starting from having Osmo or having Atom and assets from other chains, either as IBC connects to Substrate or what have you, or is it just brought over with bridges? So, you know, RAPDETH, RAPBTC, ZEC, Solana, what have you, all of those are capital assets that have some kind of history, you know, models of volatility, such you can come up with an appropriate role for them as collateral in our ecosystem. Mm. And, you know, and that's how you power an economy is by connecting disparate things and making it so you can do business across them. So now I want to throw back to the story a little bit of UST. And I guess a question I have is, given the knowledge that we have from that 
kind of case happening from having been able to observe it. Like, do you have protection within the design itself for if a toxic asset were to be used as collateral yes. in a system like that? And I guess here I need to also check, like, could a toxic asset really kind of mess it up? I'm assuming yeah. yes. So, well... We have protections against that. So the key thing, I mean, one of the biggest protections is um, debt limits for any particular asset type. And if okay. you're going to have a system that's extensible, you know, thinking about how you extend it but bound the risk of any new extension is absolutely critical. So we were talking about USDC, you know, that's a friend to getting DeFi going, right? We have a module which you can bring in USDC and directly mint um, IST against that because it's a high quality existing stable token. But that too has a debt limit because that's another system. It's got its own risks, you know, there's yeah. whether, whether it's contract, bridge, or U.S. government. Um, and so it's got to have a debt limit. So every distinct collateral has a debt limit. And one of the jobs of the economic committee is if things start to turn south, you know, bring that debt limit to zero so that mm -hmm. no new vaults can be created or no new IST can be minted against a collateral that looks like it's at risk, right? Yeah. Would there be like a risk assessment done on these different assets? Is that yeah. how that happens? Exactly. Is that how it happens in DAI, actually? Yeah, there's a risk committee that evaluates new collateral types. There's a whole process for adding a collateral type. In our case, we're working through that process now. The work of the risk committee at uh, Maker is actually been. like a shining example of prudence in cool. DeFi, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's an inspiration. You know. Monet Supply, who's like one of the people on the Risk DAO, is also a big Cosmos enthusiast. And so, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, but I'm a huge fan of his work. Like, they look at smart contracts, they look at the economics of the asset, they look at everything, right? And, you know, I hope that with Inter, we live up to the standard that is set by the MakerDAO Collateral Risk Committee. So, yeah, we're inspired by their Risk Committee. In addition, we've engaged Gauntlet. You know, they do... Uh, economic simulations on other smart contracts and are very well respected, you know, Turin Chitra and company about yeah. how they understand these things. Sometimes co-host of the show. Yeah. <laughs> you might have met him, right? You might have um, heard him. Yeah. 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 And, and so Gauntlet will be doing ongoing simulations. So not only we do, we do risk evaluations up front, but every week there's a reevaluation of every collateral type to figure out what the right debt limits, interest rates, volatility targets, all these kinds of things are for each collateral type independently in each of the different ways it might function in our system. And so that will, as we grow either new collateral types, um, you know, or new collaterals or even new collateral types, like if we want to use liquidity uh, uh, tokens as a collateral type, that has some important economic advantages from a capital efficiency point of view. That's something that we look forward to doing after, you know, in future uh, mainnet releases. Um, mm. And that's something that they'll be able to model incorporate into the overall you know risk analysis models that's being continuously evaluated for each of these collaterals very cool i want to say a big thank you to both of you for coming on the show sharing with us a little backstory on ust also what you've both been up to in your respective projects and the ist slash interstable token slash inter slash ist whatever we're going to call it uh upcoming token i guess this comes out with mainnet one, phase one, right? The one you were mm -hmm. saying would happen yep. potentially in Q3. So it's something to look for, I guess. Cool. And we'll be back after that launches. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being on.
<laughs> Thank you so much for having us. And as, as always, it's great. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. I want to say a big thank you to the team that put together the ZK Podcast. That's Tanya, Rachel, Chris, and Henrik. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.